my office prayer meeting. And my dear brother Ime at one point prays, Lord, we pray that you would keep the snowstorm away. I don't do a very good imitation. And Ugo goes, mm-hmm, and David McDonald, mm-hmm. And I have felt like sitting up and opening my eyes and looking at him, you know, wow, that's not something you hear at every prayer meeting, keep the snowstorm away. We want to have fellowship in the Lord on Sunday. Amen. Amen. Okay. Next morning, eight inches of snow predicted. You know, you got to love Ime, I I say to myself. A valiant prayer. I said to my wife, I'm still preparing my message, but I don't give a lot of hope of actually delivering it. And uh, after work, I left the office. I went direct to play squash. I said, well, I can probably play for two or three hours, you know, snowstorm coming. I got home. I checked the news. It was canceled. The snowstorm was canceled. Wow! It's like the whole thing has gone over us and then on Cape Breton. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. For the next winter blast, I know who I want to have on the ice. I want to have a left winger of David McDonald. I want Ime to be the center, and I want Ugo Okori to be right wing (laughs) and, 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 and keep the next one away. From us, we had no defense, we had no goalie. I was in the penalty box, faithless. I trust that um, we will continue to fellowship regardless of the weather. I wonder to make that a little brighter whether we can kill some lights. So this to be darker, this area to be darker. That one there, I'm not sure how that works. It's not very important. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can spend some time in your word this morning. We pray that um, your spirit would direct our thoughts and my thoughts, and that we would rejoice in the rich inheritance that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I want to speak to you this morning about um, the interactions between the Apostle Paul and three people. And the birth of this is kind of something that David McDonald said to me in December, that I myself feel is often um, something that we, as believers who have, uh, you might say, day jobs and so on, uh, are often uh, confronted with and what we often think about, uh, and that is our, our demeanor and our interaction with our superiors, our superiors at work in, a, in what you might call a secular context. But as David McDonald said yesterday morning in that room, and I couldn't agree more, it is inappropriate, it is artificial, and it is not what the Christian should do to imagine that life as a Christian is divided between that which is secular and that which is spiritual. If you are called on the floor before your boss to give some kind of an account for something, well, that may be a work challenge. 
And uh, some of the brothers have been through the ringer in that regard in the past year. And um, it makes me think, too, of, of my interactions with my superiors, although they do not have the power really to fire me. I still feel conscious of my uh, actions, my attitude toward them in that uh, what you might call secular context, but as I say, that is a fallacy and that is not the right way to look at life as a Christian. So I was thinking about how the Apostle Paul interacted with uh, certain men toward the end of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you might turn to the vicinity of Acts chapter 25. It is most interesting that um, the Lord Jesus anticipated exactly this kind of thing, and He did it not only, I am sure, with a view to um, the Apostle Paul, but to all of us, to all of us. He said in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. <clears throat> for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And again, Luke but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist." The Lord foresaw prison. The Lord foresaw people standing before kings and governors. And although you may not work for a king or a governor, your own supervisor, I'm sure to you, sometimes feels like such a person, a person of authority. And when we interact with people in authority, we need the Lord to be with us in a special way. It's interesting to think about the Apostle Paul at this point in the book that we're going to think about this morning, the three missionary journeys are, are over. The uh, missionary work began in about Acts 13. Paul himself was saved in Acts chapter 9. But um, when he was saved in 9, of course, he uh, was in Damascus and had to be lowered off of the city wall of that ancient city in a basket. Chapter 14... He was uh, dragged out. He was stoned in Lystra. He was beaten and jailed in Philippi. We know from 2 Corinthians 11 that he was deprived of food and shelter quite often. And as we come up to our passages this morning, we might say that uh, he was arrested. Actually, it was a, a, a mob. A mob simply laid hands on him, dragged him out of the temple and uh, were beating him, and Luke describes it as, as they were killing him, as the process of, of um, beating Paul outside of the temple in Jerusalem. These are the, some of the suffering, some of the experiences and hardships that this 
apostle experienced. Quite notable. And so we come to Acts chapter 24, and the three people this morning that we might think about for a, a half hour are Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and the interview between Festus and Agrippa has overlap. Who was Marcus Antonius Felix? Well, he was the 12th governor of Judea. He was also a procurator, which means the financial civil aspect, as well as proconsul, and uh, he would have been appointed by Rome. He did not rule in Jerusalem. He ruled in in Caesarea, sometimes called Caesarea Maritima, because of its position on the coast and the remnants of the harbor that Herod built, Herod the Great, are still there. You can still see them, and that is about 75 kilometers northwest of Jerusalem. He held office from 52 to 59, and he was a horrible person, and he was much hated by the Jews. Someone of Egyptian extraction claimed to be a Messiah, and he tried to catch that group of people. This uh, so-called Egyptian Messiah got away, but any of his followers... Uh, They were uh, dealt with very violently, and uh, this man, Felix, uh, quite casually and in almost an offhanded manner, uh, ended up imprisoning Paul for two years as a result of the interaction that we see this morning. He was uh, recalled by the emperor Nero, and that's when he left Paul in prison rather than take a decision. So we read in Acts 24, we have some work to do this morning in, in, in background, otherwise the, the points, the, the, the actual spiritual points that I want to make don't have a context. So then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are Yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. But they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. The uh, way in which Claudius Lysias had Paul transported in the middle of the night with 200 soldiers in, in the passage before this indicated the seriousness with which the Jews wanted to kill Paul. And if it hadn't been for his nephew getting a word in to the commander, Claudius Lysias, Paul would have been killed along the way and being transported to the Roman court in Caesarea. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, 
neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been there before thee, and object if they had aught against me. Or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. Except it be for this one voice that I cried among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came up with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. So we see in that passage that Paul was able to bear testimony of his faith and at the same time have a conscience that was void of offense toward men and toward God. Felix uh, was recalled and was replaced by Porcius Festus. He was the 13th governor of Judea. Pilate was the 5th. And he was in office for only two years. He died in office after two years. And as a uh, proconsul, he would have had military experience when he was a consul, and now he's functioning as a proconsul. And this is the man that uh, Felix has passed Paul off onto rather than take a decision. So let us continue. Acts 25, verse 6, And he, Festus, went unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about, and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof those, these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, the Jews. I appeal unto Caesar. No doubt if he had allowed himself to be transported to Jerusalem, there would have been another effort 
to assassinate Paul on, uh, on the way. I appeal unto Caesar, and what is the answer, as you know from Festus? Unto Caesar you will go. We don't know why King Agrippa and his wife traveled to Jerusalem at this point, other than it says in the Bible, to salute Festus. And we come to this man, Agrippa. He's actually King Herod Agrippa II, and we read of him in Acts chapter 26. He was the eighth such ruler of the Herodian dynasty. These were Edomites. The Edomites were from an area of Edom which is southeast of the Dead Sea. He was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who made the harbor at Caesarea. He lived from 28 to 93 and was overthrown by the Jews in the rebellion of 66. And that rebellion ended in the destruction of the temple in AD 69-70 by General Titus, and General Titus would become the next emperor of Rome. The son of Herod the Great, the great-grandson here, is King Agrippa the second, uh, that was Herod Antipas. That is the Herod that Jesus refused to speak to. And here we have a rendering of Paul before Agrippa and Bernice by an artist in the 1850s. And so you have a man who is, uh, has had a tremendous amount of suffering in his life who has endured many things, who is being falsely accused, standing in front of people in all their fine clothing and pomp and circumstance. And in all of that, he is bearing testimony of Christ with a clear conscience. Against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought no, none accusation of such things as I supposed, says Festus, but had certain questions against him, he calls it, of their own superstition, and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved unto the hearing of Caesar Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar." Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, Festus, thou shalt hear him. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know to all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. 
that Christ should suffer, and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am a Christian, except these bonds. In facing the men of this world, as Paul did, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, the powers of this world. We often may feel something like that when we are called onto the floor to give an account. We are not in peril of our lives, but I think that the principles that we see here in the demonstration of the character and life of Paul are very good principles for us to observe and to think about. The first thing that we need to remember in our minds is that although the man in front of us has power over us, and although his behavior can be ignoble, he is still loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still someone created in the image of God. We may not have a very high opinion of him. We should set that aside. We should remember that this man, whomever he may be, is a creation of God and loved by God. Another fact that we need to keep in mind when we are called onto the floor, as it were, is that Paul himself, interestingly enough, spoke of the need for respect of civil and secular authorities. In particular, in the book of Romans, speaking of Roman authorities, that he himself had to stand before. And he reminds the church in Rome that for all its faults, he reminds them that the government does not bear the sword for nothing. I have the passage from Romans coming up. And in our attitude of respect for authorities, it is entirely consistent with the verse that we read in 2416, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men, whomever they may be. Thirdly, we have to admit that the potentates of this world are often here today and gone tomorrow, that in some sense they are petty potentates. Are they anything compared to 
the majesty and grandeur and power of Christ, they are nothing. They are nothing. There may be pomposity and venality and egotisticality and ignorance. We see all of these things in worldly rulers. But does that mean that we should then be disrespectful toward them? It's interesting that Felix, in one way, showed genuine interest, and in the next breath, it's revealed to us that he was also hoping for some spare change. Paul often wrote about the powers that be. He wrote about principalities. He indicated that sometimes the principalities and powers that be can be at work in this world. It is entirely possible that Satan is influencing the person who is standing in front of you and asking you to give an account of yourself. That's a sobering thought. And so, when I compare my notes and when I look at the uh, need as we come before the world to show proper respect, but also know what they really are, in our minds we need to hold these things in tension. We cannot uh, forget one without remembering the other. And here we have the passage from Romans. I'll begin at verse 2. Therefore, whoever re resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. For they who have opposed all will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a curse of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will receive you will praise from the same, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. And then he goes on to talk about, well, if you do evil, you can fully expect the government to punish you for evil. And at the, at the end, we have the concept of, well, evil, pun, evil behavior results in punishment even from secular authorities. So we don't like that. Keep that in mind at the very least. But also, as per Paul's statement, to have a clear conscience, not only before uh, God, but also as we face such people before man. What about the attitude of the heart? A lot of times, I think our behavior is very much affected by our emotions, and the standing of our heart as we stand before such people is very, very important. We should have confidence. We should know that God's power is greater than the power of these petty potentates. We should have confidence. And in Romans 8, you know, that is such a wonderful passage. We read that we live and walk in the love of Christ and that all kinds of sufferings, and Paul lists a, cata a catalog of, of, of misfortune and suffering in Romans 8. He knew about these things. He knew about these things personally. He had personally suffered such things. And he lived and walked in the love of Christ, and he said, it, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors, as we like to sing. This is an attitude of the heart, to have that kind of confidence, to know that we live and walk in the love of Christ, and that nothing that this guy can do to me, will ever separate me from the love of Christ. And that all things work together for good to them that love God, right? Verse 32. 
Paul did end up in jail more than once. Was that all bad? Well, wonderful things like epistles were written in jail that minister to us 2,000 years later. Jailers get saved. All kinds of things can happen. All things work together for good to them that love God. Secondly, we need to have an attitude of communion in our hearts and not allow the circumstances, however intimidating they may be, to allow that communion with the Lord in our hearts to be broken. Over the years, verses from Psalms like Psalm 16 and 37 and 84 and 139 have come to my heart and come to my mind in difficult circumstances. These are, I have made these verses mine. They are my verses. I hope that you know something about that, that you are buttressed and strengthened by the Word of God that you've hidden in your heart. This will be a great source of communion and protection for you when you are going through difficulties with people and difficult situations. Do you know why you should face such situations as if the Lord Jesus is standing beside you? Do you know why? Because He is. Because He is. And as we saw with Paul, however intimidating the situation might be, however upsetting the situation might be, however undeserving this individual might seem to be, Keep in mind that this is an opportunity to witness. This is an opportunity to share your testimony. I remember being in a meeting at the university in Newfoundland, and a Muslim who, who had, uh, was, uh, I mean, uh, he's a Canadian from Hamilton, Ontario, had grown up a nominal Christian and had converted to Islam. And he was giving a lecture at the university. And some of the people in the room were Muslims. My boss was there, my Muslim boss. And, uh, and Christians from the university were there. And the various discussions took place about the Bible and the uh, testimony of John 15, 16, about the meaning of the paraclete, <coughs> and so on. And someone, at a point in the meeting, said, let me, let me tell you my testimony I would like you and everyone in this room to hear my personal testimony, my personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, you might say, how can you argue with that? And the Muslim speaker said, no, I forbid you to share that testimony. Stop talking. You are not allowed to share your testimony in this room. And he was not able to. Testimony is a powerful thing. That is your own personal experience. I cannot uh, say that it didn't happen. I would be calling you a liar to your face. I know perfectly well that, that uh, adult, intelligent, ordinary people do not make this stuff up. That this man's salvation was his personal experience, is my personal experience, is your personal experience. It's very, very real because it is real. It's a fact. Your salvation is a fact and you know it. It is based on your personal interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As it says in the scriptures, be ready always to give an answer to every man that speaketh, asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to speak well. Are you, are you prepared? Are you ready to share your testimony? Even in some kind of a strange circumstance, it's more like a court trial. Be ready. Speak well. Ephesians 6.13 has a lovely combination of words where the word stand is kind of used twice. Having done all to withstand, stand, stand. Here's some verses that uh, I love. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. We may not know exactly what it is that he will bring to pass, but we trust him and we commit our way unto him. In such circumstances, I think we are often uh, perhaps looking for some kind of uh, vindication. I think that's human nature. We like to get vindication. Well, this psalm teaches me that vindication is in the hands of God. Leave your vindication in the hands of God, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself. Isn't that lovely? We have such a tendency to fret. Fret not thyself. Because of him who prospereth, people in fine clothes and power and riches, don't fret about them. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to be tempted to be drawn into evil. And it's like the arrow goes back to the beginning. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight thyself also in the Lord. These are things in our communion with the Lord that strengthen us and help us to keep on going. As it says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Grab onto these verses, grab onto these truths and commune with the Lord even in the face of being challenged and facing difficulty. Ephesians 6, as I said, <clears throat> we have this withstand and stand and the, the instruction to put on the whole armor of God. What is it? The truth? The gospel? Faith? To be filled with the Spirit? And to pray. To pray. If you've done these things, they are the power by which you can withstand, and having known the grace of God in the truth carrying you forward, then you can actually stand up. You can stand up like a man or woman and represent the Lord Jesus in such circumstances. We need to be able to withstand so that we can stand. Finally, this morning, I'm reminded of the fact that sometimes a prayer is very short. And when I think of the Apostle Paul being dragged up in front of yet another kind of kangaroo court, in front of uh, people of varying sincerity who are examining him, I wonder whether he also 
sent up a prayer in a moment to God that the Lord would help him face that man and give the right answer. It's from Nehemiah chapter 2. And we know that Nehemiah was downcast and the king says, what's the matter? And the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? That's the king's question. Pray. Instant pray. Be instant in prayer. Instant prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. We don't even know what he said. <laughs> and then, and I said unto the king. King says, what, what have you got to say? And in that instant, Nehemiah prayed. And then he spoke. That's the kind of heart we need to have. Standing in front of a king, standing in, some, in front of some kind of potentate, an intimidating circumstance. It could be at work. It could be in many different circumstances. I don't know your circumstances. But we need to commune with the Lord. We need to have a clear mind. We need grace. And we need to send up that prayer that God would help us when we need His help. Shall we pray? Father, we thank You this morning that we can uh, have the example from Your Word of a godly man who endured many things and yet was able to testify of the resurrection of Christ and who had a good conscience toward you and toward men. Help us to be people who have a clear conscience toward you and toward men. Help us to be ready with our testimony and with knowledge of your word so that we might bear witness to the truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.